The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Rock, rock, rock and Rock, rock, rock and Rock, rock, rock and Oh, once she grabs, she won't let go. Rock, rock, rock and Rock, rock, rock and None of that soft stuff. Rock, rock. None of the heavy metal stuff. Rock, rock, rock and Just a little bit of jazz. Rock, rock, rock and What do you think? Oh, I love it. That, that, that was great. Thank you. <laughs> Those trumpers are always Big looking for excuses. Something upon which they can lay the blame. Since when you're insecure and lacking talent, a good excuse helps you not feel so lame. In Iowa, one comment of this nature was heard over and over, I am told. The GOPers Monday night kept saying, yeah. my caucus is just tiny because it's cold. <laughs> Not even a word after that. My caucus is just tiny because it's cold. Touche. <laughs> Mangy Fetlocks there. Our pal Bruce W. Nelson just uh, churning them out <laughs> each day. Uh, we, we need to get uh, Mangy on the show one of these days. I will reach out to him because... Um, <laughs> That's good stuff. Oh, boy, I needed that today. So I got to tell you, I've been a little rushed today because our pal, Brad Friedman, has COVID again. Yeah, he got COVID. Well, Desi got COVID over the holidays visiting family in Texas. See, that's what happens when you go to Texas, just saying. And she came back. Uh, she flew back into Arizona where Brad was visiting his mom and Oh my God, I think we dodged a bullet because I had invited them to come over for dinner um, after Brad picked Desi up from the airport because uh, we were having um, a nice dinner. Uh, David's son, my bonus son, and his soon-to-be wife. Um, and so it's like, more the merrier. Come on over. And Brad, Brad wanted to go to the casino to gamble. He, what he, his excuse was, no, Desi's been traveling all day. She wants to get home. He wanted to gamble. That's what it was. Well, the thing is, Desi brought back COVID. And um, I guess driving back from Arizona to Los Angeles, Desi gave Brad her COVID. So Brad got it. He, he got a dose of Paxlovid. But he's one of those few people who suffer the rebound effects. Uh, get another case of, of, of COVID after taking the Paxlovid. So he, um, yeah, he uh, uh, um, did a show yesterday. I, I was ready to step in if I needed to. You know, I don't like filling in for them, but I will if they need me because, you know, that's what friends do. Right. But the um, uh, so the, he did a show yesterday and wanted to do it because it was the first uh, votes of the 2024 presidential campaign, presidential election season, um, such as it was again, a caucus. It was small. It was cold. Come on. Um, they, you know, the first votes were cast. Sort of, kind of. So he wanted to, um, you know, weigh in on that. And he did. And then apparently his, his, um, his, uh, um, 
his his COVID rebounded. Now, William in the chat room said, I hope Brad isn't getting sucked into gambling. Brad's been sucked into gambling. You know, I had known Brad. We, you know, we had been friendly, not when I lived in L.A. We met after I was already in Florida and I was doing mornings on the then Clear Channel uh, progressive talk station, WINZ, which is now sports, of course. Um, But so Brad was a guest and we had never met in person until Netroots Nation in Las Vegas back in, I think, 2010 when he taught me how to play video poker. Brad's been down that rabbit hole. So, um, yeah. So, uh, anyway, um, I don't have COVID. He does. Anyway, today, uh, or tonight, I should say, on Brad's show, you'll hear me. I sort of jump in and help Desi get through today's show. Um, we do two things. One of them is I share the interview I did on this program a couple of weeks ago with Anat Shankar Osorio on the words we use because they are very, very important and we need to choose them wisely. Something that, of course, Donald Trump doesn't do, never did, because, you know, he says, I've got the best words. I got all the words. No, he doesn't. He's got like a dozen that he uses over and over. Have you noticed the crooked? He, 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 he's got a crutch. It was crooked Hillary. Then it was crooked somebody else, and now it's crooked Joe Biden. It's like all he's got. Really, got, you know, Donald, you need to up your game. But again, he's got no game. Anyway, so the other thing, um, there was an argument at the Supreme Court today that um, Desi did a good job of explaining it, and I don't have it on tape, but she'll play it tonight on the broadcast. But basically, it has implications of... Um, the the Supreme Court overturning a rule, the Chevron rule, it was called, that says, you know, that each agency overseeing their particular area has experts as part of the agency. And oftentimes legislators don't understand the topics which they are legislating, whether it be science science, most notably. I mean, look, we know it. We saw it in the case in Texas where a judge, a Trump appointed judge um, said that the, the, the abortion pill mefeprestone shouldn't be on the market. This judge is not a, is not a doctor. He's not a scientist. He has no training in medications or, um, uh, you know, of any sort, that's not pharmacological, pharma, pharmacology. Um, he's not a doctor or a scientist or a pharmacist. He's got no business making these rules or deleting them, saying that the FDA shouldn't have approved this drug 20 years ago. Going off of what? His brilliant scientific knowledge? No. Going off his his religious beliefs, I guess it makes no sense. Anyway, the this Supreme Court case could have implications seeing the Chevron rule overturned, which says that experts in these various agencies, this is their field in which they have expertise. So they should be the ones who, you know, make the calls. 
And overturning the rule will basically allow for judges like this idiot in Texas who wants to overturn, uh, you know, the FDA's approval of Mifeprestone just because he doesn't like it. So we talked about that, shared the uh, the interview with Anat Shanker. And the other thing I did was I went on Mastodon. What happened to my Mastodon? Oh, no. My Mastodon. Like I, th- I must have opened something over it. Oh, I'm so mad at myself because, well, you know what? In that case, maybe I'll just do it over here. I'm going to hopefully bring it up. Damn. Um, so anyway, so what I, what I was saying before, my producer screwed me up because she opened another window over the window that I had Laffy's Mastodon thread up on. So Gotta Laugh, who used to do all these great Twitter threads on Twitter, but now it's shitter. She doesn't shit anymore. Well, you know, my euphemism. Anyway, she but she does toot on Mastodon. But let me, okay, mstdn.social. That's the instance that I'm on. So I can log in there. And all right, here's Laffy. So she is still at it. Um, it looks like... Oh, this is interesting. Dean Baker just tweeted, uh, creating judicial chaos. Will the Supreme Court overturn the Chevron rule? And uh, has a whole article up at CEPR.net, which is the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Dean Baker is one of the few economists of whom I am a fan. Usually we talk economy and my eyes roll back in my head. But Dean Baker is great. He and Stephanie Kelton um, are two of maybe three or four that I like and read regularly. But um, he's got a piece up on this hearing that the Supreme Court had this morning, um, uh, basically overturning the Chevron decision, the Chevron rule. Uh, Again, listen to the broadcast tonight. It's eight o'clock Eastern on um, the Progressive Voices Network at progressivevoices.com. Or you can go to bradblog.com and download it directly from there. They don't do a live show. It's a podcast. Or get it wherever you get your podcasts. And you can hear about that. Desi does a, a really good job of explaining it. But the thing that I wanted to pull up Mastodon over before I got distracted by Dean Baker is um, uh, Laffy's thread from now, she's not in the courtroom, uh, but she is. Um, she's she's monitoring some who are and who are uh, uh, either tweeting or otherwise writing about the case. Um, her, it looks like her last post, her last toot, as it were, uh, was about thirty five minutes ago. She got up to 93. Her thread is 93 toots long. And when I say toot, you know, I'm not being um, scatological here. That's what they call the not tweets on <laughs> on on Mastodon. Anyway, um, I, I, I will link if I could figure out how to do it. She's at Gotta Laugh at Mastodon, M-A-S-T-O-D-O-N dot social. Um if you can figure out how to pull up the thread, I'm still struggling with, with the Mastodon. Anyway, she, um, uh, she was live tweeting the thing and there's some really good stuff on it, but now her thread is 93 uh, toots long. So um, her last thing was she, she's using um, one main source and a few other 
ancillary sources. But the last one, um, she has she has a lot of the uh, basically transcription of the questioning and testimony. So the her last piece from the coverage of today's um, uh, defamation lawsuit number two of E. Jean Carroll against the former guy um, reads like this. The questioner is Trump's attorney, Alina Haba Haba. And Haba asks E. Jean Carroll, Ms. Carroll, you were not quiet in the 1980s, right? Carroll says, right. Haba, but after 25 years, you brought this suit against the sitting president. And the judge who was, was just no nonsense judge. His name is Kaplan. I think it's Irving Kaplan. Um, as opposed to E. Jean Carroll's uh, attorney, Roberta Kaplan. So it was Kaplan versus Kaplan. I get that. Not really. Anyway, the judge said, you're running the repeat key too often, Miss Haba. And then Haba asks, who's George Conway? And Eugene Carroll says he's a lawyer who does not look like Donald Trump. And Haba says, has he been on TV these days? And Carroll said, I think so. I wouldn't be surprised. And the judge says, we'll break now. And then Laffey writes, as jury files out, Trump leaves too. But the lawyers are staying. There may be more. So this was, what, 45 minutes ago or so. Um, and uh, that's the last she posted. So I don't know if they've come back in. But basically, the, the hearing has been quite contentious between Trump's lawyers led by Haba Haba and, uh, and again, Judge Carroll. So um, I'll, I'll read you a little bit. So, so first up was E. Jean Carroll and her attorney got to question her. And um, Haba would object and the judge would say, denied, or, you know, and many times told her just to sit down because she was so annoying, told her to shut up, not in, not in that, using that terminology, but basically um, told her to shut up a few times. Um, uh, let's see. She, so uh, here, here's one for, here's number 75 of her toots, of Laffey's toots. She says, um, Ahaba asked her, you said you received death threats daily, but you deleted them until trial. Explain what you mean. And the judge cuts in. He said, explain what you mean about what? And then Haba says, when did you stop deleting death threats? And, and Carol says, I had not rece received how many there were. Haba, did you receive a subpoena? Yes. Did you know you had a discovery obligation? They were just replies, slime. What about messages in your inbox? Did you delete them? And Carol said, no. Because Haba Haba kept trying to get her to, um, I guess, incriminate herself or trip herself up. I don't know. Um, and and uh, then back to the questioning, Haba says, did you have death? So you have the death threats. And Carol said, I deleted them. Haba, so you, and then Carol's lawyer jumps in, asked and answered. Haba says, this is a very important question. Carol's lawyer says, I object to the commentary too. Carol says, I may have deleted some emails too. I'm not sure. Did you give them to your lawyers? No. Why not? I don't want to upset them. Um, Haba then asked, do you keep supporting emails? And Carol said, yes, I tried to delete questions that I know I won't use, but I have an entire label for supportive messages. Do you control your email? Yes. So only you deleted them? Yes. 
Haba asks, Miss Carol, are you aware it's illegal to delete evidence? And Carol's lawyer says, objection. And Haba says, I move for a mistrial. Evidence has been deleted. And the judge says, denied. And the jury will disregard everything Miss Haba just said. <laughs> um, it, it was not a good day for the, the former guy. Then... Haba continues her questioning. She says, you stated you were in a cocoon of love a week after President Trump's statement. Carol, I did. So it appears you weren't suffering much. Fair to say? Not fair. I experienced support and a flood of slime. Both. Both things occurred. But some was before the president's statement. It was from him. Haba, based on what? The way they were phrased. Didn't you say you went off social media? Sometimes I take a break. I come back for breaking news. Uh, I take a break. One can't live by Twitter alone. And then Habba says, now you believe those tweets are real and not fake. And Carol's lawyer objects. And the judge sustains that objection. And then Habba asks, on June 22nd, Lisa Burnback texted you. I offered DX11. Judge Kaplan asked, is this already in? Habba says, yes. And the judge says, then you don't have to introduce it. And then Habba said, you said you were confused. And it goes on like that. Um, Laffey was, um, was uh, using as a source inner city press and a few other sources, but most of her stuff, she is, um, uh, she is, uh, you know, um, is uh is relaying information from the inner city press. Yeah. Stephanie in the chat room says Haba keeps making herself look stupid. I don't, I don't think she has to try very much. Not at all. Um, this whole thing. I mean, I'm glad, uh, I, I'm glad that, uh, um, <laughs> that Laffy live tooted it. I'm also glad that it wasn't televised because I would have watched it and there would be a few hours out of my day that I can't get back. By the way, Mangy Fetlocks is in the chat room. Hey, uh, Bruce, Bruce, I'm going to I'm going to email you, invite you on the show because um, uh, your work is just great. And we need to we need to get you back on back. I don't know if he's been on. Well, we'll we'll take care of that. So anyway. In a few minutes, so this goes on. You can find Gotta Laugh on Mastodon and read the whole thread. It is fascinating. Uh, this um, uh, Haba Haba apparently did neither herself nor Donald Trump any favors. None, none whatsoever. Um, I'm just looking to think, see if there's anything new that I missed and doesn't appear to. Our, our pal Spaco is... Uh, tooting out some appearances of E. Jean Carroll on TV. Um, someone wrote, Carol Tower has a nice ring to it, yes? <laughs> the thing is, Trump doesn't own Trump Towers. He owns, maybe, probably mortgaged, um, his uh, condo, which, by the way, is uh, 10,000 square feet, not 30,000, as he has lied numerous times about, just saying. Okay. So, um, now I can't find this other thing I found. So I don't know what my producer did to me today, but man, she screwed me up. So I did have another window open that now I can't find. And it was, um, a, uh, is this it? It was a, a, 
is this it? Um, yes, it, it was. It's today's editorial in the Washington Post. Now, Washington Post has pissed me off a lot lately, um, most notably by, you know, getting rid of Greg Sargent, who, by the way, is now at the New Republic. So at least you can still read him. Anyway, their uh, their editorial today is about A.I. Talk about timing. Because in a few minutes, we're going to talk with Kelly Carlin, who is pissed, as she should be, about her um, late father's name being used by some comedy team who I guess they do a podcast. Um, And what they did was they fed George Carlin's works into one of these AI programs and had it spit out a script as if it were George Carlin today, uh, weighing in on issues and things that have happened since he died. And, the, and, and he produced a, a one hour long video that's up on YouTube, which is called, I'm glad I'm dead, George Carlin. And it shows, uh, you know, a, a, an empty microphone here. I'll put up the, uh, the picture on the screen for anyone. Well, so you guys can see it. Those of you who are watching a video stream anyway, um, This is as much of this YouTube special as I'm going to show, because frankly, these people should not be rewarded for um, using George George Carlin's name and likeness. Although the 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 graphics don't look like George Carlin, and frankly, the so-called comedian doesn't sound like George Carlin. And the most important thing is. When in terms of why you'd want to watch this thing, it's not funny. There's nothing funny about it. And I had gotten an email because I have a bunch of, um, you know, Washington Post newsletters in my email list. And this one that caused me to click on it said, uh, today's opinions, an AI creation can be real art. Here's how to make one. And the fir- the article is the outrageous, exciting promise of AI art. And it's how you can use words to describe the picture you want generated and how to, I guess, keep massaging the, the, the text you put in to make the picture be what you want it to be. All I know is the few times I've tried to generate AI art, it, it hasn't worked very well. It just does not, I get really crappy stuff. Um, yeah, it's not worth anything, but they have an interesting, oh, it's a, a whole graphic thing here on um, the Washington Post. But what I wanted to go to is the editorial. If you go to the editorial page by the editorial board, it posted this afternoon at 2.19. So I'm guessing that means it'll be in the paper tomorrow. And let me just share with you, uh, AI could threaten creators, but only if humans let it is the headline. And here's what the the editors of the Washington Post wrote in this editorial. Chat GPT and other large language models like it are more than handy tools for concocting emails or for the lazy high school or English essays. The tools are also creative forces, writing dramas, essays, lyrics, jokes, and practically any other art form that once required a human brain and promising to upend the lives of people who write, draw, sing, or yes, conduct journalism. 
The technology demands new scrutiny of how society rewards artistic effort. Copyright law governs how that's done now. The most powerful large language models depend on vast data sets that encompass, basically, the whole public Internet, which in turn contains troves of copyrighted material. This raises the question, does gobbling up this material to train artificial intelligence systems infringe on creators' intellectual property rights? And if not, should it? The writers and artists argue that the companies behind these models didn't ask permission before hoovering up countless people's life work. Without that work, the models would have trouble mimicking, say, a romance story when queried or depicting the week's political dramas in the style of a manga. Manga? Maga? I don't know. Worse still, many of these models will end up competing with the same humans on whose opuses they were trained. Striking Hollywood writers this summer worried that streaming services would rely on AI to churn out bingeable rom-coms. The writers won that negotiation, putting their crisis on pause. But individual creators won't always be able to win concessions from employers planning to use artificial intelligence, much less to win them from makers of large language models with whom they have no relationship. The companies argue argue back that copyright law is on their side. It isn't necessarily a copyright violation if someone fails to get permission before using an artist's over, 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 O-E-U-V-R-E, over, uh, to produce something new. This is, quote, fair use. Reproducing a creative work can be legal so long as the reproduction is also in its way creative. Criticism, comment, parody, and scholarship, for instance, have always been regarded favorably under the law. That's why, hold on, I got to sneeze, I think. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. Sometimes you just got to sneeze. That's why I can play these parody songs, because parody has been regarded favorably under the, the fair use law. More generally, fair use depends on whether the manner in which copyrighted material is adapted is transformative, whether, as the U.S. Copyright Office put it, the adaptation would, quote, add something new. The addition of something new is at the core of the defense of large language model makers. They contend that they're ingesting artists writing, drawing and strumming to unleash a wave of innovation. Yes, Doll E which is one of the AI image generators, can create a faithful riff on Peppa Pig, but it can also generate fantastical landscapes that even the surrealists for which it was named didn't dream up. The purpose of these models, their overseers insist, isn't to rewrite Jonathan Franzen novels, but with users' help to draft something original or accomplish something functional. Every book by every author is just raw material for building that engine. Okay, again, if you're just tuning in, I'm reading a Washington Post editorial about AI. It's not in today's paper because it was published. It was went up on the web at about two o'clock this afternoon. And it's perfect timing for uh, our guest who's coming up in just a few minutes, Kelly Carlin. Yes, George's daughter. 
So back to the editorial. All this means that it is likely to be easy for creators to challenge specific AI works that are manifest copycats of their portfolios or, as lawyers say, derivative works. That Peppa Pig imitation, for instance. But those creators will have a harder time bringing cases against systems that were trained on their work, yet don't closely imitate it. A judge's recent decision dismissing part of a copyright lawsuit brought by comedian Sarah Silverman and others against Meta bears this out. The Copyright Office is undergoing a review of AI systems that could clarify the rights authors have. And companies are, on their own, establishing creator protections. Dolly 3 won't respond to prompts asking it to copy a living artist's style by name. And artists can request to have their work excluded from training data for models to come. Maybe model makers will also voluntarily license at least high-profile work to avoid the possibility of a lawsuit down the road. A promising example is Axel Springer's recently signed deal with OpenAI, by which the model makers will pay to use content from the publishing behemoth's properties, such as Politico and Business Insider, as well as linked to those sources when it employs them to answer a question. Oh, God, I see a, sti- uh, I see a, um, a slippery slope here. Uh, According to Constitution's framers, the Constitution's framers, intellectual property rights exist to, quote, promote the progress of science and useful arts. The latest marvels in coding and computing have introduced unseen forms of creation to humanity, but by producing works faster and cheaper, they could reduce demand for human-painted portraits or human-drafted newspaper editorials, the fuel for the AI engine that in turn could lead to a decline in artistic progress. And again, I see Kelly just joined. So Kelly, I'm, I'm reading an editorial from the Washington post that I get went live this afternoon about AI that will likely, I guess be in tomorrow's paper because it was published at two this afternoon. Uh, the last paragraph reads a broader rethinking of copyright, perhaps inspired by what some AI companies are already doing could ensure that human creators get some recompense when AI consumes their work, processes it, and produces new material based on it in a manner current law doesn't contemplate. But such a shift shouldn't be so punishing that the AI industry has no room to grow. That way, these tools in concert with human creators can push the progress of science and useful arts far beyond what the framers could have imagined. All right, so that is... Uh, from the the WashingtonPost.com, an editorial from the Washington Post editorial board um, weighing in on the controversy surrounding artificial intelligence that is reaching new heights. And uh, uh, Kelly Carlin, uh, welcome back to the show. It's so good to see you. It's so good to be here, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. I know I reached out to you last week when I saw the first, uh, I saw your tweet, actually, or your shit, as we call it, because it's now shitter, uh, not Twitter, um, about this, uh, I I guess, comedy duo, and I use the term loosely, um, producing a new YouTube special that they uh, disgustingly to me called uh, I'm glad I'm dead, George Carlin. Um, and what, what, so they took your dad's works, they fed it into 
an AI program and had it spit out a a script. And and one of these guys thinks he's a good impressionist and does his impersonation of your dad that isn't very good um, and and puts it up as a one hour comedy special. What George Carlin would say now, is that the premise of this? I guess so. I'm still not clear on exactly how much autonomy the AI bot has, who chose the topic, uh, who chose the topics, who who chose to choose George Carlin, who chose the topics within it. Um, I I guess it's one of the comedian's voices. It's, it's just not clear. It's, it's very opaque. I guess they put up a podcast yesterday with the AI bot reacting to the reaction to the special. I'm not, have really no desire to listen to it. No. Uh, it's near the beginning of it. Um, these comedians claim that they that this is autonomous, that they have nothing to do with this. They say they've signed NDAs, so they're not allowed to reveal anything about their relationship with the company behind the AI bot. I've seen reporting on that. Um, and yeah, I, and I guess whoever is behind this, uh, I mean, you know, I get it. I get that they're fans. I get that they love my dad, clearly. Many of why us do. You, why <laughs> else would you pick him, right? right. I mean, you know, they did pick Tom Brady last year, which I do get. So maybe they just decided to go the opposite way, which is, you know, we want to make fun of Tom Brady and make him a comedy a, a stand-up. But then they went over to, let's go to the guy that we all revere the most. Um, so, but that's my understanding is that there is some AI bot that did all of this. And he's on a podcast with two actual humans and um, yeah, wow. that's where we are. That, as I said earlier, this, there's a slippery slope in here that is is oh, really creepy. Huge. But for huge. you, so so I saw your tweet and I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And so I went in search, not in search of the YouTube thing because I won't watch it. I did put it on, watch the beginning to hear their explanation of it, which was not much of an explanation. And I think I heard two alleged jokes, which were not funny. And I said, I can't do this and turned it off. And instead I started reading about it. There's a story at vice.com just eviscerating it saying, okay, do not watch this because number one, it's not funny. And number two, it's insulting. And I'm I'm paraphrasing obviously. And he, and the author of the article said something like, well, that is an hour of my life. I will never get back. And I, and, and I can't get it out of my head. It was not George Carlin. Um, and that's the thing. And you point out there's lots of George Carlin material out there. There are 14 specials that you can find. They're all over. And if you want to watch George Carlin, hear George Carlin himself, because this bad facsimile of it is not even. It's just, I think, capitalizing on his name. Um, and, and you have the rights to his estate. To to You control his his goods, right? His, his works, his, his, uh, his portfolio. Yeah. I'm his sole heir. And between myself and my father's manager and business partner, uh, a, there's something called the George Carlin estate. And then there's another entity that owns all of his intellectual property and was, all of it was produced through that. And, uh, of course I control, we control all of it. And you never um, and heard from these people who, to ask you, we, we no. have this idea to do this thing. What do you think? Nothing. No, of course not. No, I was, as I was shocked by it on, I guess it dropped last Tuesday. I heard about it on Wednesday and uh, got my thoughts together and 
made my statement. And then ever since then, it's kind of been a snowball of talking to all sorts of people about it. Um, and uh, no, they never approached us uh, because they probably, I mean, we have a reputation for being very picky. It took uh, 13 years or 12 years almost to decide who to make the documentary about my dad. We had a lot of people approach us. Um, we've had a lot of people approach us about all sorts of projects. We're very, very protective. We try to use my father's high quality standards and our own intuition to, you know, of the people we're talking to. And um, there's no way I would have given permission for something like this. And they probably knew that. And this is a case of, I think technology in, you know, has a reputation to do this, to kind of step over the line over and over again and say, oops, or, oh, it's already happening. Too bad. Can't take it back now. Um, you know, this is the arrogance of the tech world. Right. And and so we're seeing it here also. And, and as I mentioned to you, as you know, I know you, you were inundated with press requests. And I thank you so much for, for carving out a few minutes to talk to us um, that during the the SAG after strike, my friend Dave Jolliffe came on the show a couple of times and brought along. You know, his good friends, Sean Astin and Francis Fisher. And the, one of the main issues that they were fighting for was to stave off, you know, the, the onslaught of AI to protect their works for now and for posterity. To say that, no, you can't use my image and my voice and make me say and do things that I never did. That's not what you have the rights to. You have the rights to the work that I'm doing for you. But nothing further than that. And that was something that that dragged the negotiations out longer because the studios wanted that right. They wanted to be able to use like extras in perpetuity. They want they wanted so much. So Sean was very, you know, involved in the negotiations. And you said you've speak you've been speaking with him about this. Yes, yeah, SAG reached out to me immediately. Uh, I got connected to Sean, some other people, um, uh, Julie Fisher, uh -huh. Justine Bateman, you know, people who are really concerned about this issue. Uh, they looped me into what they're doing, what the front is still, the legislation that's trying to be uh, moved forward through Congress. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of fronts here with this. And so it was great to be immediately, you know, kind of encircled by people who have been dealing with this issue and brought me up to speed very quickly. Um, my dad obviously was a member of all the guilds uh, because he was a writer and an mm -hmm. actor and a performer and after for years and all of that. But um, so there's nothing technically they can do for me. And I'm not a member of any of those guilds right now myself, but, um, but it was just like, you know, it was like the circling of the wagons, like we've got you and we understand this. And of course there's a lot of legacy. I mean, Sean Astin being one of them, certainly Julie Fisher also being That's one right. of them, both of them, a lot of us who are legacy holders. And, um, you know, I mean, that's the other thing too, is I reached out pretty quickly. Uh, I reached out to Zelda Williams. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I tweeted, put Melissa Rivers in there. I haven't reached out to her uh, directly. Uh, but, you know, Rain Pryor? Rain, I've talked to Rain. She doesn't have any control over her dad's oh, estate, no. unfortunately. Um, but, um, but, you know, because in the stand-up, if you listen far enough into it, maybe, I, I only listened I about four or five minutes, he says, he lists the names of other comedians that they're going to come after. And it was like Joan and it was Richard and it was, you know, it was like just down the line. And it was like, 
oh, well, we're the tip of the spear. So, you know, so that's why I jumped in so quickly and so adamantly um, to, you know, to be public about my feelings about this, but also really jumped into relationships with people who were also very, very concerned as artists and especially as performing artists and, you know, screen artists, um, that, uh, there, there is, you know, they're coming for us on all fronts. You know, so have you spoken with Sarah Silverman? Because she's been in the, on this fight since like the beginning. She was one of the people who sued immediately uh, because the way AI works, they have to feed it tons of information. And she said, you have no right to put my works into this program. I did not give permission. And in fact, she's even mentioned in this Washington Post editorial in that I guess part of her it says the judge's recent decision dismissing part of a copyright lawsuit brought by Sarah Silverman and others against Meta bears this out what it bears out is let me go back to the beginning of the paragraph it says all this means that it, it is likely to be easy for creators to challenge specific AI works that are manifest copies of their portfolios or as lawyers say derivative works a Peppa Pig imitation, for instance, but those creators will have a harder time bringing cases against systems that were trained on their work, yet don't closely imitate it. And that's what Sarah, I believe, sued over, that that her work was being used to train these AI programs, and she never gave permission for that. Yeah, I've been talking to the greatest legal minds in America the last few days, um, and that is part of why that stuff was thrown out of the case was because there was too much distance between the original text of the book and what the AI came up with. And there was no way they could show the connection. Um, what we're dealing with is a, is a basically um, a robbery of my father's personality and perspective. So it's a very different kind of a case, but, you know, I, I'm looking forward to reading this uh, op-ed because it sounds like what they're saying is, you know, we still need to deal with the fact that these machines are going to ingest all this material and there has to be some copyright protection uh, because, you know, the reality of what's going to happen is, is the machine's going to start ingesting its own output. And that's part of my own fear is that yeah. this is now labeled on YouTube as George Carlin, I'm glad I'm dead, Yeah, which means that people can download pieces of it put that up. They'll miss the whole impression part where they talk about the disclaimer. So then this could be thought of as George Carlin. And then an, even an AI bot could even think that this is George Carlin. And now his own, my, you know, the value, not only monetarily, but the value philosophically and entertainment wise of his perspective and his work is watered down by sure. all of this. Right. So, so it's, it's complicated, but it's, you know, it's really interesting that all this is coming up and um, and, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of litigation going on right now that the public will see more and more of of how it's trying to shape and put these guardrails up so that artists and, you know, this is the other thing too, Nicole. This isn't just about creatives. This isn't just about people who have intellectual property output. This is about humans. Mm. These <laughs> machines um, we need to protect everybody. And this legislation that is going forward, I don't really know quite the full course of where it's going, where it is right now and stuff, but I have the, the draft of it here. 
And they give examples. It's called the no artificial intelligence, fake replicas and unauthorized duplications act of 2023. Interesting. But they give examples here of not just songwriters, Tom Hanks. Um, They say AI technology was used to create false, non-consensual, intimate images of high school girls in Westfield, New Jersey. Oh, my God. Um, Another music thing, um, the whole deep fake thing. Um, Yeah. So they can put you in a pornography. Yes. They can put you in a robbery. They could put you in, and this is the deep fake world, right? And so just ordinary citizens don't have any protections right now with this stuff. So this is bigger than a famous comedian or a dead actor or a live actor. Uh, This is about humanity having their autonomy and agency protected legally in this country. It's huge. It is a huge issue that needs. Um, does it say on there who the chief sponsor of this bill is, who who this is coming yeah, from? It says um, Ms. Salazar introduced the following bill, but it's all blank, like the date right. and the number, all of that. So I don't know introduced if it's yet. actually been introduced yet, but um but I know something is moving through right now. Well, so good, see, it might be some version of this. Right. And here's the thing. This technology it, it like appeared and exploded. It's moving so fast. And we know that our government does not move that fast, but they need to. You know, look, part of it is even what I do is so hampered by the fact that they move at the speed of molasses. Uh, the Telecommunications Act of 1996 destroyed radio as we know it, yeah. as we knew it. Yep. And Thanks, the- Clinton. Yes, thanks, Clinton. And the Digital Millennium Copyright Act is still the only thing that governs the Internet. And it's from the same year, I believe it's 96. And it's antiquated. You know, there's no mechanism. The reason I I can't play music on my podcast is because I, 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 I simulcast on video on YouTube and there's no mechanism to get clearance to play copyrighted music on YouTube. So I get copyright violated, even though it's like, give me a license. Let me buy a license so I can, so the people who create this stuff can be compensated, but there's not even a mechanism in place. Right. We'll all participate legally in the system. Give us a way to do it. it. Right. Yeah, it it is. You said it very well that the, the, the technology moves so quickly and it, you know, governmental institutions move at the, you know, the pace of sludge. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's so slow. Hey. So, and here we are in the middle of it, but, um, but it is, you know, it is, there's, there's a lot, I think, simmering right now. And, and what's interesting is, you know, someone in one of those articles said, you know, oh, I thought this kind of mischief with AI was over a year ago. Like we had the Tom Brady thing and we've had the music stuff and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't think it's really been on people's radar that no. much. I mean, it was mine a little bit, but not, you know, um, and I really I'm, I'm you know, in, in my own way, I'm kind of glad this happened because I have to say it's kind of crazy. My original statement on Twitter has over five million views or impressions wow. or whatever that is, whatever that statistic means. It has tens of thousands of retweets and things like that. I've never gotten traction like that before. (laughs) 
I mean, you know, I tweet about Carl Jung and, you know, <laughs> other stuff. And every once in a while, a comedy thing about my dad, if I'm promoting something for him. But um, <clears throat> but it's huge and people are paying attention now. And uh, it's why I agreed to step forward and speak about it so much in the media, because we need to we need every citizen to get that it's not a good idea to click on that special. And I know I probably got more eyeballs on it because I spoke about it, but that's, that's But they okay. might have anyway, because Kelly, honestly, look at this. This is the graphic. Right. And, if, and if I saw that, I got George Carlin. What is this yes. like material that they found that had never been released before? Because that would be the logical explanation but that's not the case at all. And I can only imagine your thought when you see this, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, How dare they? Well, that, that's the thing is it's, you know, then they call it an impression and I'm like, yeah, but rich little, if he was doing an impression for an hour of someone, he would call it the rich little hour doing because he that's was right. Credit for it. wants all the accolades. <laughs> he wants the attention. He wants the, uh, you know, he, he, he wants the pat on the back for it. Um, and the fact that they did call it that, that they use that graphic, it is very confusing for sure. I agree. That's that looks like something, um, you know, that uh, a comic would use to make a little graphic for his special. Yes. Yeah, and nothing on it said this is an AI representation of what we think George Carlin might do if he were around today. It yeah. might, There was some fine print at the very bottom that I couldn't see, no matter how big I blew it up. So that doesn't count in my book. If you can't see it, what it is, it's a, for those listening to audio, sorry, I forget sometimes. It's a, a spotlight on a mic stand on an empty stage. And it says, I'm glad I'm dead is the headline across the top and below it. It says George Carlin. What are you supposed to think? And yeah. so, and the other thing is that Tom Brady thing that they did with AI, whenever it was, was taken down. They were sued over it and they had to take it down. So what, why they thought they could get away with infringing on your dad's, live live you know likeness and and talents and material uh again it is gray area because it hasn't been made into law yet no there there's yeah. nothing to keep up with the technology so now much like your dad was at the far, forefront of a another case this could go to the supreme court it could be another george carlin not not pacifica versus george carlin but chat gpt versus carl who knows but you know what your dad was enough of a cultural icon i mean the most brilliant comedian of my generation for sure that um in my lifetime that his his name is big enough his likeness big enough that you could take this all the way to the supreme court if need be yeah it is pretty it is pretty interesting that you know uh who knows but uh that you know he was he was involved in <clears throat> such a big communications law i mean st still media lawyers talk about that That's case right. to say because it was a precedent setting case in the supreme court um you know who knows who knows um but it's yeah it's boy you know, I, these times can't get any more interesting, Nicole. <laughs> I know. Enough of the interesting times. Let's have some yes. boring times for, for a while. Some, <laughs> I have to say, I had a great holiday season. I took three weeks off from nice. everything. I really connected back to myself and my creative voice. And I 
planned my next six months out so that I'd have a little bit of time with my coaching business. And then every other week I'd really get to immerse into my creative process. I'm back to my writing process. I'm working on a new performance piece. I'm very excited about it. And this comes the first week I'm off. Oh, my God. You know, Kelly, I I have to, in the few minutes we have left, talk about your coaching business because you do have this sort of double life. Um, You you are a a wonderful representative of your father. You wrote a Carlin Home Companion, which was a wonderful book. And and then the companion one woman show you did along with it. You do have this creative side and the podcast and everything. But you also work with people. You are um, I don't know. You have a master's in Jungian psychi- psychology. I have a, I have a master's in uh, counseling psychology with an emphasis on Jungian psychology. So I consider myself what they call a depth psychologist. And uh, I'm also a certified life coach. I, I knew I didn't want to become a therapist after that, but I'm very interested in transformation because that's all my writing is about is mm-hmm. my own my own journey of running into myself over and over again and the ego and I'm a practicing Buddhist and all of that. And, and then about five years ago, I was, or about actually seven years ago, my book came out in 2015. And then, you know, I was trying to work on a second book and I was trying to figure out a way to kind of talk about what I had just lived through since 2008 in finding my creative voice and coming out of the shadow from my father in facing my fears, my stage fright, all that kind of stuff. And I started to try to write a book. It didn't work out. And so I pivoted towards this coaching business because I'd done coaching before my dad died. And, um, and it's really interesting how the curriculum of what I've created inside of it really does replicate the inner journey I went on. It's not like a nose on kind of a thing, but, um, but it is a couple of things, which is being able to rewrite your story as you're living it being able to get out of your own way, the fears, and then being able to have the grit and the courage to step forward into the new life. And so those three kind of pillars land inside of my year long program, which I call humans on the verge. Um, And what I'm really excited about this year is that those three pillars are represented in three courses that I teach throughout the year, which are public courses too. So people can come and take a public course with us um, and, 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 or be inside of my coaching program and do the courses and get a lot of coaching and a lot of guidance, uh, personal work done through that. So uh, yeah, so I'm really excited about this year about the coaching business. It really feels like it's hit its sweet spot. And in fact, at the end of this month on Saturday, the 27th, we're having our kickoff new year event called light your year on fire. And it's a half day event where we get people to, um, you know, think about the year that they just lived the year that they want to move into. And then we invite them to join us, uh, mid February, we're starting our first course of the year called true story, which is about dreaming into, um, your next chapter of your life. And not from your strategic brain, not from your should brain, Mm -hmm. not from ego, but from your soul. And so we're really excited. This eight week course, it it takes you through a bunch of journal prompts and a bunch of ways that kind of expand your thinking and make you think not from your your left brain, but more from your right brain. Um, 
to really uh, for you to understand what story you've been living and what story you want to live into now. You know, and I got to say, I did a workshop with you. It's like a six week long one. And it's wonderful. And you're you. And that's the thing. It's not some stodgy like life coach. Not not that life coaches are stodgy, but the image that we have. It's Kelly Carlin. And you have a you know, you have a vocabulary like mine. The F word yes, just I do. flies I off the, the fucking tongue. Girl. And it's in it because it's how people talk. And it's it's so relatable and it's important work. We all need we are an ongoing project and you got to keep working on it or it gets stale or it doesn't grow. You need to nurture it. You need to care for it. I mean, Nicole, we are we are part of nature. Nature is always changing. Look at the seasons. That's right. We all have different seasons in our life. And, and whether you're moving from summer to fall or fall to winter or winter to spring or spring to summer does not matter. There's a transition in there somewhere. And especially those of us over 40, 45, <laughs> the, you know, life is different on this side of yes, that century, mark, you know, especially over 50. I just turned 60 last year. <laughs> it really is about how do I want to be more authentic? How do I want to be more courageous and not in like, I have to go conquer the world, but just even stepping out of your own comfort zone takes a lot of courage and grit. Yes. And I'm just so dedicated to, to helping people find, find, you know, find their true self, live their true story, walk their path via their true North, you know, and those are the names of all my courses. That's why they're called. (laughs) Um, and, and it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's deep inside of me and no matter how much of a creative life I live and how big that gets or small that gets, whatever phase I'm in with that, I'm deeply dedicated to this work on the planet for the species also. I mean, come on humans, we got to get our stuff together because Absolutely. we are on the verge, literally. Yes. Now, CallieCarlin.com, can people get information about these there? Or where should they go? Yeah, my website's crap. Okay. Don't go there. Don't go there. Uh, follow me on Instagram. Okay. I'm at Kelly Carlin is here. Okay. I need follow to follow me on Twitter. Kelly underscore Carlin. Carlin right. My link tree on both of those will get you to my courses, will get you to Humans on the Verge. If you do go on my website, a little window will pop up and say, join my mailing list. Join my mailing list. Okay. That's get everything from me then, especially my courses and stuff like that. I'm on your mailing. I get your Monday musings. It's great. You get my Monday musings. Exactly. Exactly. So um, we're working on my website right now. That was like a thing that just I've ignored way too long. But yeah, hit me up on the socials. I'm there and get on my mailing list. You'll be able to find out whatever you need. And my uh, Light Your Year on Fire, if you type that into Eventbrite, you can get um, a ticket. And we've got, I believe there is a uh, early bird special still up there for a couple more days. So grab okay. it. Well, I'll look for that and I'll post it on the blog where I post today's show. So oh, people thank can, you, Nicole. can find it. Awesome. Um, it. Kelly Carlin, she is exactly who we're talking to here. You're the best. I'm, I'm so glad you're fighting this. I'll stay on top of it and keep the listeners informed on what's going on because uh, this is a big deal and it's only going to get bigger before it gets solved. So, uh, protect your dad's legacy at all costs, as you like. You need me to say that, but you know, Kelly Carlin, thank you. It's so good to see you, and we'll we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, it's it's uh, so great to have you here. You take care and happy New Year. You too, happy New Year. Thank Thanks. you for having. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us, uh, Kelly Carlin. She is busy, um, but I've been uh, hounding her for the last week or so, saying, "Please come on and let's talk about this." I adore her, in case you couldn't tell. Yes, her father was, 
you know, was George Carlin, for God's sake. Uh, all, that's all that needs to be said, isn't it? Um, so anyway, and as someone who went through one of her workshops, if you can at all do it, do it. They, it is life-changing and it will make you open your eyes and maybe, you know, learn a little bit more about yourself. Okay, um, that's it for a Wednesday. Don't forget, tune into the broadcast. 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific tonight on ProgressiveVoices.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And tomorrow, I think, talk about COVID. Brad's got COVID. Howie Klein was out last week because he got COVID on his trip back from India. So hopefully we'll talk to uh, uh, Howie Klein tomorrow on the program. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great night. Take care of yourself. Stay warm and peace out.